Hi, and uh, welcome to 10 Minutes On, uh, on social media from the Joint Public Issues team. Uh, my name's Alfie, and I'm joined by Hannah Thursday, and we're both the JPIT parliamentary interns this year. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about social media and the influence it has in times of conflict. Uh, we've seen huge kind of changes uh, in media in the past few decades and how it impacts conflict. And um, what would you say the impact has been on the narrative, Hannah? Um, yeah, well, in times of conflict, there's always been this understanding that uncontrolled media can hinder the war effort, leading states to try and control the media. I think the most obvious example we have of this is in Vietnam. You saw this huge public relations disaster with big consequences. And after this, you had a new sort of top-down media management system that produced these uncomplicated and bloodless narratives of conflict. But now we've had the digital revolution, we have a new sort of decentralised platform of user-generated content that's so open and fast-moving. You don't just observe a conflict, but you engage and communicate about it. And now I think we're seeing a big sort of gradual fall in the trust in mainstream media in favour of these more authentic accounts that are also come with lots of complications. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you can access so much more information than people could have kind of 20, 30 years ago and get a much bigger understanding of the picture and see kind of personal accounts and things like that. Um, so, so loads of things have changed. And the, the big one, though, is that victims of conflict are more willing and able to film those atrocities of war. And there's an audience for them. Uh, and it seems to have been a significant belief in the empowering capabilities of social media. Um, and do you, what do you think? Do you think that's a good thing or a dangerous thing? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. I think in some ways it's amazing. It's this idea of giving a voice to the voiceless and the potential to equalise battlefields and enable previously powerless actors, like young women, for instance, to challenge militaries. People are aware of what is happening and photos of people who are suffering have formed some of the strongest calls to action in recent years. Um, this also produces a lot more transparency and awareness beyond the control of states. In 2010, there was the famous release of WikiLeaks's YouTube video, Collateral Murder, that documented the murder of 12 civilians in Iraq by the US military. At the same time, in the aftermath of this, we saw harsh penalties for those responsible for the leak, alongside impunity for those responsible for murder. And in Syria, despite the shares of so many devastating images, the tangible impact of this user-generated content has been very small with you know, an estimated civilian death toll of over 300,000 people. So in the past, when we've had tragedies of this scale, the world would be able to claim an ignorance of their occurrence. But in Syria, there was the largest ever archive of evidencing mass murder and war crimes. And all of this, I think, points woefully against the supposed empowerment and accountability of social media. Yeah, in some ways, it almost seems like when you're exposed to this amount of things, the, the impact of each individual piece of information is, is less um, powerful. And we almost get used to the, the tragedy and devastation we see, which is, is really sad. And it is hard to stay continually um, exposed to that and impacted by it. And, but why, what do you think has gone wrong? Why do you think um, social media isn't maybe having had the impact we thought it would have in terms of transparency and motivating action? Yeah, I think that's exactly what you said about sort of this growing indifference in the face of so many information. There's just been such an exponential growth in the amount of information available. I think every minute over 400 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube. Secrets are sort of impossible to keep, but with an abundance of contradictory information, accountability is much easier to avoid. So we've entered this world of too much information warfare in which truth can be decided by popularity and it's much harder to find in your sort of flood of mutually exclusive narratives. 
Um, in 2016, it was coined the year of post-truth, which was understood as a prioritising of emotion over facts and attributed in large part to the rise of social media. I think when images from conflict do have a global impact, it's often due to their emotional impact rather than any sort of focus on the facts behind it. This definitely helps social media become a really fertile ground for propaganda, as you can so easily obscure context and hide intent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most powerful social media things I saw that that was based in truth that had an impact on me was in the 2015 um, migration crisis and the pictures of, you know, dead children on beaches and and horrific things like that 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 really emotionally stirred me and so many others and did lead to to some form of change in, in some states in Europe. Um, but like you say, there's such a big uh, danger of, of disinformation. The idea of fake news uh, was quite big a little while ago, and it's hard to see that kind of changing recently as people accept this information that um, connects to them emotionally, regardless of whether or not it's founded in reality. Um, what do you kind of think about um, disinformation and its its growth? Yeah, I agree with you. This is one of like the biggest issues that we're facing at the moment, and people are, do seem to be becoming complacent with it. Um, I think the consequences of it we know were potentially fatal. In 2016, after reading a fake news article, Pakistan's defence minister publicly threatened to use nuclear force on Israel. There's so many examples of sort of the ways disinformation can be really dangerous. And social media definitely changes disinformation because its algorithms operate on a quantity over quality basis. So the YouTube algorithm is designed to increase the amount of time you spend watching YouTube. If you watch one video of disinformation, it will provide you with another and reinforce your view on this thing. I think the effects of everything we've been saying here with all this is so well demonstrated in what's happening in Ukraine today, because you have these two diametrically opposed views alight on social media with very real consequences on the battlefield. Um, I mean, for years before the invasion, you had... Russian disinformation campaigns operating in Ukraine and Russia, setting the grounds for invasion. And now you have Russia's desperate attempts to control these flows of information, culminating in their ban on Facebook's platforms, for instance. Yeah, and I think, um, like you say, it's YouTube, but it's all other kind of social medias too. And one of the things is, um, if you're watching these things, even if you massively disagree with them or you're, you're commenting saying you don't like them, you're still engaging with it. Uh, and so sensationalist things even if they are fake news, the sensationalism of them uh, is what keeps people watching and interacting, and then that keeps promoting those things on your feeds. Um, I mean, we've, we talked a little bit about Russia, um, but there's loads of other kind of um, states that are doing this, including, you know, us. I mean, all of these listeners today, I'm sure, will have heard of JPIT, but you may have not saw, heard of JTRIG, uh, which is the Joint Threat Research Intelligence Group. Um, Hannah, could you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, this is just a a unit of British intelligence which specialises in misinformation. So governments around the world have recognised that this is a big threat and, you know, there's special units within the armed forces to deal with this kind of new threat. It's it's not one of those issues that is limited to certain states or certain um, influences or or outlets. It's it's unfortunately everywhere and people are using it on both sides, good and bad, and and fighting against it um, in a lot of ways. Um, but we've, we've got the big question now, which I'm sure Hannah's going to be able to answer, uh, which is what, what we can do about this. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm afraid I don't have a solution. It is an incredibly difficult question to answer. 
I mean, it comes down to sort of if you read something that says climate change is very difficult to tackle and it's going to end life on Earth as you know it, and another post that says, oh, don't worry about it, it's not real. It is sort of natural in some way to want to believe the second one and that to be the one that you like on social media. But I do think this is something we need to be more aware of and actively always thinking about. One of J. Pitt's six hopes is a politics characterised by listening, kindness and truthfulness. I think it's really important to try and resist the death of good discussion and increased polarisation and really try and open ourselves up to the narratives that we we disagree with and being aware of the way that our opinions are shaped by the medias that we consume. And as Christians, you know, we have a belief in the objective truth of God. We should have a reason to resist these narratives of the death of truth, because we do know that there is a truth in the world that we can hold on to. Yeah, I think um, it's really easy to become polarised today and with social media and, and many media platforms pushing us on polarisation. Like Hannah said, it's it's really important to hold on to what we know is truth, um, but also fight hard for things that we believe are true in the world too. Yeah, I think in a society where social media and lots of media outlets are trying to push us on this polarisation of, of um, certain views, it's really important to hold on to, to fundamental truths. And as Christians, we have kind of truths we believe about you know, the existence of, of Christ and God, but also the world we live in too, and that people deserve to be treated with, with dignity and respect um, and love. And so I think holding on to those important things, it can sometimes sound a bit wishy-washy, but if we hold on to those things at the centre of our worldview, it does give us a way of addressing kind of the things we see online and whether or not those are true or hold hold kindness in them. Um, so, so that's kind of the end of our discussion. Um, if you haven't been completely put off by social media, which isn't necessarily the point of this, um, we'd love if you could follow uh, JPIT's social media. So thank you so much to list, for listening to today's 10 Minutes On from the Joint Public Issues team. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do share it around on social media. Um, and you can find more about us and JPIT on the website, which is jpit.uk. So thank you very much for listening, and I hope you guys have a great day.